And you may be seated. Hey, turn your Bibles. Genesis chapter 2. It is an exciting time of the year. Early January, you know, you're thinking spiritual things, spiritual priorities. I was at early prayer Friday morning. We had 40 people show up on Friday morning at 6.30. And uh, it's powerful. But it just kind of jump-started your day. I had something, a little sacrifice out of the ordinary. Of course, we're getting ready to kick off our brand new fall semester in our life groups. Uh, maybe you thought about leading a ministry, uh, or maybe even this. Uh, Sharon told me this morning, she said, I got three groups, and if somebody wants to open their home, what a great opportunity. Bring people in your home. It's friends. It's discipleship. It's Christianity 101. Listen, if, you, if you'd like to do that, if God's blessed you, it's uh, on Wednesday nights during the spring semester, just go by the Connect Room afterwards, and uh, anyone that wants to, you've been thinking about starting a ministry or doing something for God, we'd love to partner with you. So just join us in the, in the Connect Room right after church. Uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, uh, the series is called 2020 Vision. We started last week, and if you remember this little gadget here, does anyone remember what it's called? A phoropter. Turn to your neighbor, it's a phoropter. Sounds a little bit like a dinosaur. But it, you've all been in the optometrist's chair, and you sit down, and, you know, she'll ask you, she say, can you see better, or is it worse, uh, number one or number two? And what she's doing is the optometrist is adjusting the lens to try to help you see clearly. I had LASIK surgery a number of years ago, and it helped me dramatically. Before I had it, it's like I couldn't even read the alarm clock when I was, uh, it, it just, my eyes were so bad. But what this thing does is it, is it fits you to see clearly, and they'll, of course, use glasses or, or, or uh, contact lenses. But I want to suggest to you there's a spiritual parallel. I want to suggest to you every one of us is walking around this life with a phoropter, and likely we are seeing the world through our experiences, through the culture. How many know if you raise a kid and you don't bring them to church or teach them the Bible, but if you just let them watch modern-day TV, how many know they're going to end up in a ditch in their life? They're, they're not going to live a life. They won't know what's pleasing to God. Well, in the same way, it, when we let the Bible begin to put new lenses in front of us, we begin to see clearly. We begin to see how to have a better family, uh, how to have a better work life, how to have a successful life, how to find peace with God, how to find joy in your life, because we're seeing through God's lens. And this series for the new year is called 2020 Vision. It is about the four most important areas of your life and mine. Last week, we talked about 2020 Vision for our relationship with God. Um, we talked about how to, how to relate to God, not just a feeling or not just when we sing, but things like obedience to His commandments, our serving the Lord, our worship, our stewardship, and that daily face time with the Lord. Well, today we're going to talk about 2020 vision for our family. Next week we'll talk about 2020 vision for our job or whatever we do with our life. And lastly, we'll talk about 2020 vision for our church. I suggest to you these four priorities are like the, the, the legs on a stool that literally define our life. But uh, let's begin. Genesis 2.24, we want to talk about our relationship with our family. First mention of family in God's Word is Genesis 2. God is speaking to Adam in a prophecy. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother. In other words, a child is born into a family where there's a biological man, a biological woman. They commit themselves together in the covenant of marriage. Uh, he'll hold fast to his, his wife, this young man, and they'll become one flesh. 
In other words, a child grows up, he gets married. The one flesh is symbolic of sexual intimacy. Children are born, and family just keeps spinning off. Now, you've got grandparents, and you've got aunts, and you've got uncles. Uh, This is God's design for us to have a happy, healthy family here on this earth. Uh, But sadly, nobody has a perfect family. Come on, uh, both hands, both feet. Nobody has a perfect family. Everybody, uh, many of us have a crazy uncle. Uh, some of us have two crazy uncles. Uh, we may have a, an aunt that uh, is not running on all eight cylinders. Maybe we have rebellious children. That strikes a little closer to home. I mean, no, you can tell the uncle to go home, but if you've got rebellious kids, it's trouble. Maybe you have a violent spouse. Maybe he or she was raised in a home where there was yelling and throwing things. Maybe you're here today and you know the pain of divorce. Uh, my family, my parents were divorced when I was 21, and it has impacted me deeply in a negative way in my life. Uh, maybe, I mean, who knows? It's just so much out there. But let me say this. Don't beat yourself up when your family's not perfect. How many know even the first family, God's family, God's kids, Adam and Eve, they weren't perfect, and they messed up in a big-time way? So if God's kids mess up, if God had trouble in his family on earth, listen, we can too. But I want to help you have better relationships with family. And when I say family, I want you to think about whoever shows up at Thanksgiving. Likely they are the people that are in this inner circle that you call family. And I can tell you this, we will be happier if we live by principles from God's Word. And there are likely tens of thousands of books about family. Uh, I didn't survey the literature to try to find the best. I thought I would simply go with you to the Bible and teach you what the Bible has to say about these relationships. And I want to speak of two major foundational parts. The first is that if you would build family relationships on a spiritual foundation, we're going to talk about that. And secondly, if you would deal with conflict in a biblical manner. I mean, everybody has conflict. Well, there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with it. If you deal with it God's way, you'll find restoration and reconciliation If you go the other way, it's a mess. So let's talk about 2020 vision for our families. And I want to go to Joshua chapter 24. And I want to talk about this spiritual foundation we're building based on Jesus and the Bible. A spiritual foundation that's built around our Savior Jesus Christ and the Bible, which is God's Word. Joshua 24. If you know the story of Joshua, Moses took Israel out out of Egypt. He led them towards the promised land. He died in the wilderness. Joshua takes over, and Joshua brings them home. The book of Joshua is about Israel inhabiting the promised land, and these last few verses are some of the last things that Joshua has said to several million Jewish people who were now in the wilderness. He told them, Fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped, but serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you're going to serve. I mean, it's all about a choice. God won't force any of us. But choose whom you're going to serve. And I want you to say this with me. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and the influence that I'm able to exert over my family, we're going to serve the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Hop forwards about 3,000 years. What does serving the Lord look like? If you're here today and say, well, I believe in God and I, I, I believe in the Bible, but what, is a, what does a Christian family look like? Well, 
Let me give you some ideas. First, we, we, we are certainly, some of us, certainly you, we believe in Jesus as our Savior. We try to live by God's Word. Uh, we go to church to regularly. We don't wake up on Sunday and say, do you feel like going? We, we, just, we just go. It's part of what we do. We pray over our meals. Uh, we, we tell each other when we've done wrong. We ask for forgiveness. What am I doing now? I'm just giving you biblical principles. Uh, when, uh, when somebody succeeds, we applaud them. We applaud one another's successes. Uh, we all have a daily devotion time with God. We find a spot. We read our Bibles. We submit to one another. Parents exercise authority. Children obey. In, in a nutshell, what we're doing is we're trying to live by the Bible and follow Jesus together. Because here's what I want you to see as we begin. Whatever foundation or philosophy you build your family on will determine what your family is going to become. For example, you ever watch the show Modern Family? Now, it's not on my DVR, but I can tell you, if you watch Modern Family, you would not end up with a biblical home. Uh, if you watched Foster's Dash, you'd not be like Joshua serving the Lord. Our culture, and I would suggest to you that if, if, if you don't deliberately bring Christian influence in your family and home, they're not going to get it anywhere in the culture. It's not coming from school. It's not coming from politicians. It's not coming from, uh, from our education system, but it comes from us, our partnership between family and church. Uh, let me tell you now specifically as we delve a little deeper about how to build a healthy family. And let's first talk about uh, happy families are built on biblical absolutes. Now, I'm going to read a verse to you. Actually, I want you to read it with me. Let's all say it together. It's from 2 Timothy. It says, and let's say it, all Scripture is inspired by God. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Now, that's why we call the Bible God's Word, that God inspired men. This is an incredible story. I don't have time to delve into it deeply today. But 44-some men wrote 60-some books over several thousand years, and there's a consistent story and a consistent message from Genesis to Revelation. Literally dozens, if not hundreds, of fulfilled prophecies, hundreds of years before they came to pass, God's Word. But when I use the word biblical absolutes, how many know American culture doesn't believe in absolutes? If you go to a college class, they'll mock you. By absolute, I mean a truth that is just as true for you as it is for me. It's just as wrong as me to lie as it is for you to lie. Uh, you may have to lie to get a better deal at work. And if you tell the lie, you'll make more money and more people will be employed. But it's still wrong to tell the lie. The world teaches situation ethics instead. But the Bible gives us absolutes. Uh, we're told that we get to decide right and wrong. But let me tell you, friends, it's a lie. Uh, God's Word, uh, healthy families... We'll use God's word as a guide. Uh, let me read a scripture to you. Deuteronomy 11, Moses said, Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. And notice what he says. Teach them to your, your children. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Listen to this. Talk about them, God's word when you're on the road. Talk about God's word when you're going to bed and when you get up. In other words, let God's word be a a, a not just a Sunday obligation, but let it influence every part of your life, every day of your life. Interpret politics through God's Word. Interpret the future through God's Word. Interpret your fears, your worries through God's Word. 
Build your business on God's word. Treat family members according. Treat your enemies based on God's word. Uh, how many know God's word speaks to everything? See, God's word is like a, it's like a flashlight. Uh, I, I love to garden. I love to work in the yard. And oftentimes, uh, I'll have worked in the yard, particularly when it gets dark early now. Uh, I'll have gone out and, I don't know what I did, maybe fertilized and put some mulch around some beds and given them a hair, give the, the shrubs a haircut. And I felt so good about it, kind of proud about what I did. I, I go out there at night with a flashlight and just look around at it sometimes. But if I didn't have that flashlight, I couldn't see what I was looking at. Uh, in the summertime, if maybe I, I need to get some kale for a salad, and I'll go out to the garden and I'll have a flashlight because I know that there's copperheads sometimes between me and the kale. Are, are you with me today? God's Word shows you where to step. God's Word shows you where to avoid. God's Word shows you where the dog uh, <laughs> did its business. But God's Word will show us God's will and lead us to happiness. And here's a big, big thing. For a Christian family, if the Bible becomes our common authority, it'll become our standard for behavior. Rather than me just acting out of the way I feel, the Holy Spirit is helping me act in accordance to, to what God would teach me. And let me say this. The Bible has the power to change a person even if they don't believe it. Now, let me give you an example here. This is one example. I think it, it has many applications. But in 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter told the wife... That uh, if she would submit to her husband, and if in, this is an unbelieving husband, and if any of them don't believe the word of God, they'll be won over. See, when I do this, I want you to tell me what it says. I know I have to tell you that every week, but it's the same thing every week. They'll be won over without words by the behavior of the wife. In other words, you can't preach somebody into a relationship with God. You can't demand it. You can't command it. But if you and I will live the life, it will influence people in a dramatic way. You say, well, give me another example, Pastor. I will. I'm glad you asked. Imagine your family is, are yellers. We yelled a lot when I was a kid. It's just kind of the way you communicated. But imagine in your family, if, uh, if you were yellers, and you'd yell and scream, and uh, it got a little worse when you got older. But imagine, let's say you come to Christ as a teenager. Nobody else in your house is serving the Lord, and uh, you just kind of do what you've always done. Jesus hadn't. I mean, no, you can be saved and not yet sanctified. Uh, so Jesus had. So you get in a family argument, and you just blow it to all, and you holler and you yell and everything. But you walk away, and you get about ten foot away, and the Holy Spirit puts His finger on you, because you just read last night about treating your parents with honor. And you turn around and you go up to your mom and say, Mom, I want to apologize to you that I raised my voice to you. And that was wrong. I'm supposed to honor you and I've not done that and I want you to forgive me. She's going to go. <laughs> you know what you just did? You witnessed to her about the power of God to change a life. Let me give you a, a, a second part of this spiritual foundation. The first is the Bible. The second is healthy family members have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, this may be new to you. I was raised in church, but in my church, we didn't talk about a personal relationship with Christ. How many could say, I've been to churches like that. We were good people. We believed the Bible. We talked about heaven. Uh, we took communion, but I didn't understand what Jesus meant in John 3, 3, when he said you must be born again or born from above a spiritual rebirth. Uh, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that I could have a personal relationship with the unseen God, that in a spiritual manner, God could be just as real to me 
is someone else that I know face to face in the world. Now with that, I want to read you a scripture in uh, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea. And listen to what Jesus said to this church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want you to imagine if that door right there, if... What does that tell you? That means somebody's out there. It also says get the security team, okay? But in today's world, but it says somebody is out there and they want inside. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. But somehow Jesus has said, I'm standing there and I'm knocking. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to you and I'll eat with you and you with me. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of that the unseen God wants to be real to us and a part of our lives. Uh, he wants a personal relationship. Now, let me maybe give you an example to explain it better. Imagine, you know, you're home, you've got your three kids, you, you're married, and there's a favorite grandmother. The kids love grandma because she's always the bearer of good gifts. Come on, all the grandmas said, Amen. But listen, bottom line, they just love grandma. Let's say they call her Nana, and uh, they knock at the door, and they didn't know Nana was coming, and knock at the door, and all the kids run to the door, and they get there, who is it? It's your Nana. And then they all say, Nana, Nana, Nana. They open the door, and Nana has her gifts, and the kids are hugging her, and they say, Nana, come here, I want to show you my room, I want to show you my new shoes, and pretty soon mom comes out of the door, and even the son-in-law comes out, because everybody loves Nana. And actually, it's 5.30, and they, you know, mom hadn't figured out what dinner was going to be, so they said, where do you want to go to eat? And they asked Nana, and she said, uh, let's go to Outback, or wherever she wants to go, that's where we're going. Now, we understand how a person that we can see and touch and feel can have that kind of influence in a family, and how a family can relate to her. But Jesus Christ says, I want to relate to you too. Jesus Christ says, I want to be real to you. It's not spooky, it's not weird. But I want to not stand at the door, knock, and I want to be able to come into the life of your family. Now, here's probably the most important thing I'd say regarding this. How do I bring Jesus in my home? And again, I'm not advocating a physical Jesus, but Jesus coming through the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives and homes. Here's some things worth writing down. The most important one I would suggest is personal and family devotions. In other words, everybody individually and hopefully collectively some, you have a time where you read your Bible and you pray and you, you develop relationship with God. Um, second thing, I'd say prayer over meals. Uh, my kids were just raised this way. My kids just know that we're in everywhere together. I don't care if we're at a restaurant. I don't care if we're at home, at their house or my house. When we eat, we're going to pray. Uh, my little two-year-old, since he's been about one, uh, we have been trying to teach him how to pray over his meals. It's the funniest little thing. How many know when you put food in front of a hungry baby, he's ready to eat? And I'm going to give you a piece of advice about praying with little kids. You just hold their hands together, big hands around little hands, and say this, Thank you, Jesus, for my food. Amen. You can pray for the missionaries at night. You can pray for them at another time. But what you're teaching them is to just pray over the meals. You say, well... Pastor, my spouse is not a believer, and he gets mad at me when I pray. Okay, let me give you some advice. Don't push it down his throat. But every time you have a meal, whether it's in public or private, take no more than three seconds. You just bow your head and to yourself, not out loud, and say, thank you, Jesus, for food. Thank you for my family. And thank you, Lord, that you're in control of our future. I bless my husband in Jesus' name. What did you just do? You're witnessing. 
You're an unseen witness that's not beating him over the head, but you're inviting Christ in the home. Here's another big one. Thank the Lord for what he does for you. When these big storms were coming through, I have a child in Rogers and I have one in Conway. I texted them both. Of course, we were communicating. Storms are coming. Are you okay? Uh, we, were, we were in the prayer process, but guess what? Next morning, I sent another text. Are you okay? Yeah, Dad, I'm okay. Have you thanked God yet? Because how often we ask God to do something, and then when he does it, we forget to say thanks. This brings God into our homes. And probably the most important thing that I could suggest to you is to pray uh, for your family. You don't have, whether it's with them or if they don't want you praying, pray silently. Because here's the deal. I, I cannot stay mad at you if I'm praying for you. If my, and I'm going to let that lead me to my next point about dealing with conflict in a biblical manner. How many are honest enough to say that there's conflict in my home every once in a while? You're, you're lying in church on Sunday. There's conflict in every home. The only time I don't have conflict in my home is when my wife is not there. She's in California now with her mom. Poor mom just got out of the hospital and struggling a bit. But, but uh, uh, she's there. And there's not a lot of conflict uh, unless the cat doesn't go to the mudroom. And if the cat doesn't go to the mudroom when I tell her to, uh, uh, then there's conflict. But other than that, there's none in my home. But you bring her home and you bring your children home and there's going to be a little conflict. How many have ever gone to bed at night uh, back to back? Married people few honest people. I have a time or two. I waited and waited and waited for Linnell to roll over and apologize. Well, I'm the head of my home, preacher. Good. Love her as Christ loved the church, and you roll over first and apologize. If you're going to be the head of your home, don't let pride stop you. Okay, well, let's get into it. We'll talk about it a little more. Luke 15, Jesus told a story that a man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share. This is why they had a problem. I want my. This is the root of the problem here. I want my. He's in his late teens. He's in his 20s, and he says he wants his share of dad's estate. In other words, dad, before you die, I want half your money. He had, there's two brothers, but Jewish law would allow the dad, of course, to give a portion of it before his death. Well, the father, now wouldn't you say that's conflict? How would you feel if your kid came up to you and said, uh, I want one of the cars and uh, uh, let's sell the house because I want half the money? You'd do a drug test. <laughs> and when you realize they were serious, there would be conflict. Come on now, let's just get real. You've worked all your life for it, and you know your kid's a partier, and you know what they're going to do for it. Here's how we know. Well, the dad lets him do it. Now, we're going to come back to that. And a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And if I could just share this with you, all families have problems and conflicts. We all know it's easier to raise little kids because they think you're Superman, Supermom, Superwonder Woman. But when they get a little older... How many know kids, or whether it's adult to adult, how many know conflict can get downright ugly? We yell, we fight, we may become violent, God forbid, and sometimes we leave. But it's hard to know what to do when conflict arises. 
And I don't intend it to be this message to answer every question, but I think the Holy Spirit will bring some illumination. It's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know when to stand your ground. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a 13-year-old, and there's this 18-year-old boy after her. He's, not, he's actually not an 18-year-old boy. I would say he's a child molester if he's after your 13-year-old. Are you with me? But she said, and your daughter is, you know, she looks older than 13. Oh, Daddy, he likes me. He told me on Facebook he liked me, and he, just, he wants to go out with me, and my friends are going out, and we're just, we'd like to go, Daddy, please, Daddy. Well, you tell her no. But dad, what part of no don't you understand, honey? Mom, dad told me I couldn't go out with Tommy. And Tommy is Miss Jean's son and he's so nice. Well, they would probably be nice. How old is Tommy? He's 18. But he just turned 18. No. There's just some things that as a parent... But there's other times when the prodigal says, I want half, that you don't try to stop them. This is why prayer and godly counsel are so important. When your family's facing a crisis like that, get people, pray, and seek advice. Now look at verse 13. There he wasted all his money in wild living. Let's say he went to Las Vegas. He got him a nice room. He went down to the bar. He started drinking. Ladies started sitting into his lap, and he was putting 20s and 100s in different places in their attire. Are you with me today? I mean, he was just, he was just going for it. He had plenty of money. But listen, something happened, verse 14. The money ran out. And how many know when the money runs out, the friends leave? Because they're acquaintances and not friends. A great famine swept over the land. I want to suggest to you that God was behind that famine. And the young man began to starve. Sometimes we've got to get to that place. Or people we love, here's the problem. He's not just running from daddy. He's running from God. And this is the root of the problem. Sooner or later, our sin will have negative consequences. Romans 6, 23, I bet you know it. The wages of sin is it's death, it's destruction, it's trouble. While living may promise you happiness, but in the end it will always bring pain. How many know social drinkers sometimes become alcoholics? I mean, no, people who sleep around sometimes get an STD. It's just the way it works. It's promised to be fun, but it's really not. Can I say this? God's ways are always better. Now, I'm talking to you as someone who's 62. When I was 17, I, I wouldn't have been, certainly I wouldn't have been saying it, and I probably wouldn't have been listening to it. And if I'd have been forced to listen, I'd have been thinking about what else I was going to do. Because I was headed a different direction. But when you live with a, bit, a little bit of life, you see that all the voices that promise happiness often are offering pain. But listen, let's think about this. The boy's starving. Now it's a famine. I want to suggest that God has a way to use circumstances to get our attention and get us on the right pathway. Hebrews 12 says this. The Lord disciplines people he doesn't like. No. He disciplines people he loves. He disciplines us, and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. Now, let me say this. It's hard when a family member is being disciplined by God. You're helpless a lot of times until they turn their hearts back to God. There's nothing I can do. How many know God gave Adam and Eve free will in the Garden of Eden, and they took it, and they went the wrong way? Until a person turns back to God, we are often helpless. I feel like families sometimes, we're like the men that were sailors on the boat with Jonah. 
Jonah was running from God, and they just happened to be in his world. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. This young guy now, it's a famine, he's hungry. So he, hires, he persuades a local farmer to hire him. He's willing to work. Uh, the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Now, i got to be honest with you. I'm glad I'm not Jewish. It was against the Old Testament dietary laws that you couldn't eat uh, pig. And some of the finest food I've ever tasted uh, uh, were ribs that were stacked just right together. Are you with me today? That had just enough sweet sauce on them. And the temperature, and they would just fall off the bone. I mean, and some barbecued beans. And where can I get this book after lunch, after church today? I mean, but we, we laugh about that. But it was a bad place for him. Young man became so hungry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You ever seen a corn cob? Maybe on the shuck, maybe had just a couple pieces of corn, and they threw some of them in to feed the pigs. It got in the mud, and he pulled one out, and he was so starving. He'd even eat that little corn that was still on that shell after it had been in the pigsty. But notice what it says. No one gave him anything. Now, this is a tough one because sometimes tough love doesn't rescue a family member who's running from God. This is the hardest thing a parent will ever do. Oftentimes, when you give a child that's in wild living and running from God money, it's just going to buy more beer. Come on now. It's just going to buy more cigarettes. It's just going to buy more drugs. It's just going to enable them not to work. You're going you're to empower them. Come on, there's a codependency there. Oh, Mom, I love you. I promise you'll never do it again. And they get your money and they go and do it again. Sometimes, and then again, I'd get prayer and counsel before I did that, but sometimes you got to lay the law down and you got to stick with it. Look at verse 17. Here's what we really want to happen. He finally came to his senses. And the re he didn't come to his senses when everything was great. He didn't come to his senses when he had money. He didn't come to his senses until he reached the bottom. He said, I'm dying of hunger. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my father, say it with me, I have sinned. This is the ticket for restoration. It starts when you admit it. It's, the Bible calls it confession. He realized he's done wrong. And can I say this to you? It is a wonderful, wonderful thing when God reveals himself to you. Even if you're at a real low spot in life and God, and, and God had to let you go down a, cra a crazy path filled with pain to get there. But when God finally reaches you and you turn your heart back to him, listen, angels in heaven rejoice and your family's going to be happy and everything will work when you turn your heart back. And he, goes, he, he says, Daddy, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be uh, called your son. Now, I want you to listen to me. It's the most important thing I can tell you about restoration when there's conflict. Confession and repentance. In other words, acknowledging what you did wrong. Saying it to the person. Listen, I want to. I want to tell you, I, I have a great family, and I don't. It's not intended to bragging. My kids had a great mom and a good God, and I married a godly woman. We have a great family. My wife and I never fight. I don't know if our kids ever heard us raise our voices to one another, and that's not because we're some holy Joe. Our kids love us today. Our kids. I, I've never had to bail a kid out of jail. I've never found pot or drugs in my kid. I didn't find a can of beer, though I don't doubt they drank a can of beer, too. They never staggered in the home drunk. When I talk to my kids, virtually every day we text before bed, and we tell each other we love each other. We check on each other when there's problems. When we're with each other, we don't want to leave. 
I mean, and I'm not saying I'm perfect and this is because I'm the preacher. It's just because we're trying to do what I'm telling you this morning. We try to genuinely have Jesus in our home and we try to genuinely build our lives on the Bible. But listen, we, we also resolve our conflict in a biblical way. I'm, I'm, I, we were laughing when I was telling you about sleeping back to back. So the last time I can recall is when I lived in Wake Village. That was about 13 years ago. But I remember one time very clearly. And uh, uh, I just didn't like something Linnell wasn't doing. And as a good passive-aggressive, that's how I was going to communicate it to her. But I remember the Holy Spirit got all over me, and I had to roll over and apologize to her. I have apologized to my adult children for things that I had done wrong when I was, when I was raised in, didn't know any better. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about your acknowledgement. Don't let your pride stop you. Don't let anything stop you. But restoration comes with confession and repentance uh, and then forgiveness. Let me give you what I think is one of the best scriptures in the Bible on this subject. Proverbs 28, 13. If you conceal your sins, cover them up, hide them, ignore them, pretend like they're not there, you're not going to prosper. But if you confess and turn from them. I have a friend that says, uh, admit it and quit it. If you admit it and quit it, you're going to receive mercy. And the quicker we admit our faults to our family, the quicker we'll get back together. Let me say this. If you need to be on the initiating end, don't let pride stop you. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let, let's wrap up. Look at verse 20. He returned home to his father. Now we have another situation. The boy's gotten right with God, but dad has an option. Now look, if I had a million dollars and I just gave you half a million dollars from my estate, come on, and I'm suffering now and I'm having to go borrow money rather than having money in my savings and all that because of what you did, I'm probably not real happy with you. Look what dad did. The boy returned home. Dad's got a couple options. He could punish his son. He could act out of his hurt and he could reject his son. He could treat him second class. Or thirdly, he could forgive him. Because he realized that he'd been dealt with by God. Let's see what happened verse 20. It's one of the most amazing pictures in the whole Bible. And it's a picture not only of a dad and a son. It's a picture of our heavenly father relating to us when we turn back to God. While he's still a long way off, his father saw him coming. In other words, the love of this dad made him look for this son. He didn't throw him away. Filled with love and compassion. Now, how do you think this man got that after that son treated him so dirty? I'll tell you exactly how. This daddy had some face time with God. And this daddy told God he was hurt, he was mad, he was angry. And this dad came to a place where he forgave his son. And his forgiveness trumped the wrong that was done. And love could flow out. Filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son. He hugs. He ran to the son. The son should have ran to him. But he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. And said, Father, I've sinned. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. We're going to celebrate. This son of mine was dead and he's returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. And I want to tell you, friends, that's the way it can work. Confession, repentance, and forgiveness opens the door to reconciliation. Forgiveness, by definition, simply means I wipe away what you did to me and I'm giving you mercy instead of the judgment that you deserve. Listen, if you've got conflict in your home, there is a God that can help you. And if you let him help you first, 
then he can work on whoever the other person is. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today, and I, I, uh, I, I'd like to take a little time of prayer. So don't go to Cracker Barrel in your mind just yet, okay? I want to, let, let, let's stay with the Lord here. We're going to pray for just a minute. Next week, we're going to talk about 2020 vision for our job or whatever it is that we do with our life, whatever our, the bulk of our time and energy goes to. Um, let me encourage you, when you leave, we've got a, a table out in the lobby. Uh, uh, we've got a missions trip to India. You may want to stop by and get involved there. Uh, if, if, listen, if you want to make an impact on today's youth, I would volunteer with this FCA. They've got uh, uh, Eric Aiken. He needs about seven people just to man a table and check people in. It's at Texas High. A couple hours next Saturday, you stop by that table. But I, I, let me just kind of summarize what we talked about today. We talked about building our families on a spiritual foundation of a personal relationship with Jesus in the Bible. You can do that. I can do that. We talked about resolving our conflicts in a biblical way. We talked about confession. I was wrong. Repentance. I'm going to stop. I'm going to change. And forgiveness. I'm going to let you go. But I want to ask you to pray with me just a moment. I want you to bow your heads. And this is all very personal. This is between you and God. But before we pray, I want to ask you, give you a chance to respond to the Lord. Because I, I must believe God has been speaking in this message. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I... Our family doesn't have much of a devotion life. None of us really read our Bible very much. But I, I'm going to make that change. I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to start trying to help my family in, in Bible reading. Listen, if that's you, just raise your hand right now. Nobody looking around, nobody's business. That's right. Come on, all over the building. Pastor, I'm not really reading my Bible. I'm not really praying like I should. My home's not. But we want to start today. Good, good. How, how about this? Maybe you're here and you're convicted that you did wrong to someone in your family and you want to make a commitment to change today you're going to go and confess to them would you lift your hand on that one say pastor I'm convicted today I've done something I tried all of the building it's just you and God but it's important that you make a choice see this is how Joshua served the Lord it's a choice anybody else say pastor that's me I, I, I've got some things that I'm going to need to apologize for yeah how, how about this, this next one uh, you need to forgive someone Someone in your family did you wrong, they hurt you, and it's really hard for you to even be around them, and it's built a wall there. You need to forgive them like Christ has forgiven you. If that's you, just lift your hand right now. Yeah, right now. You can forgive them right now. You can release it to God. You can turn them over to God. That's what forgiveness is. It's turning over the offender to God. And how about this one? This is a big one. Maybe you've got a family member that's away from God, and you simply need God's wisdom. To know how to treat them. And God's help to love them unconditionally. Lift your hand. We're going to pray for them too. Yeah. Many of us. Family members away from God. I'm asking God to help me. Now let me ask you to do this. You can open your eyes. If you've got a family member that's with you. I want you to take them by the hand. If your spouse is there. Put your arm around them. Wink at them if you want to. But just take your family member by the hand just a second. And I want to pray a blessing over you. Today, Lord, we are gathered, several hundred of us, and we are praying and asking that the blessing of the Lord would come to our families. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Lord, I'm asking today that you would help every home change course that's been headed in the wrong direction. I'm praying, God, that 
our homes would be a place where Jesus is welcome when the knock is there. I pray that our homes would be a place filled with open Bibles and prayer. I pray, God, that we would swallow our pride and admit when we do wrong that we would make changes with God's help and we would ask forgiveness. But not only asking, God, that we would give forgiveness. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us. We can't save anybody. We can't really change any adult. But we can live the life. Come on, slip your hands to heaven. Say, Lord, help me live the life. Help me live the life in front of the most important group of people I know, those that come to Thanksgiving dinner. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us a happy home. Ask God to give you grace for this now. It's more than a prayer. It's the grace of God invading your family's life and bringing change. Bless each home. If you have a family member holding their hand, just squeeze it a little bit. And just say, I bless you today. I bless you and I love you and I'm committed to you. Smile on us, God, in Jesus' name. Now look at me now. It's been a great day, hasn't it? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It's been a great day. Honored to have you. Honored to have you. You might check out next Saturday night. We have more, more, more space on Saturday night. But here's how we're going to close. We're going to have one last song. Deeply appreciate our worship team. During that song, people are responding to God. So I want to ask you to be patient unless you just have an emergency. During this song, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come back to the front. And maybe you need to have somebody pray with you. Maybe my little scratching around today on family issues, you really need to take somebody by the hand on a specific prayer. We'll be here for you. We'll pray about anything before we go. But I would even say, though, that the most important prayer we'd like to pray is if you're here today and in your heart, you know you just need to get right with God. In that part of my message when I was talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus, well, maybe you're like I was. Believe in God. Go to church sometimes. And I sure did. But I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I just tried to do better on communion Sunday. I didn't know that Jesus was standing at the door of my heart knocking. I didn't know that Jesus wanted a personal relationship with me. You know, I went through several years like many of you have. I tried to find happiness as a late teenager in my sports, my girlfriends, my beer, just going down the line, my new car and all those things. But there was a, still an emptiness in my life. It was a God-shaped hole in my heart. And I'd kind of lived this way. Now, I always believed in God. But I was not a believer who followed Jesus. I lived my life. If the cross represents Jesus, I just kind of walked my way and did my thing in life and enjoyed life. Whenever I got in trouble, I'd say, I really need some help. Please help me. And when he did, I'd keep going. But one day I was at, it's like driving a car. And you stop at a T, you go left or right. And it was a pause in my life. And I'd become very aware of God. I knew God wanted me to follow him and turn my life and it was August 15, 1976, that I literally did this. I turned, if I can picture it this way, I turned to Christ. I was actually on my knees and asked Jesus to forgive me, and I committed my life to follow him. And I'm telling you, friends, something happened more than a New Year's resolution. Jesus came in my life and changed me. And maybe this is what you need today. The Bible calls it a spiritual rebirth when we commit our life to Christ. We would like to pray for you, and I'd like to do it now. If you're here today and say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need a relationship with Christ. For some of us, maybe you've never made this commitment to Christ. Maybe for others, you used to walk with God, but you got away. 
and you want to commit your life back to Christ and you want us to pray for you. But either way, if you're here today, say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I want you to pray and I want to do it now. Would you just lift your hand real quickly, wave it at me? Anyone this morning, just wave your hand real high and say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. I want to get my life right with God today. Praise the Lord. All right, listen, when we start our prayer time, I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to encourage you that it takes courage to serve the Lord. But if you want us to pray for you, you just slip out of your chair and someone will meet you at this cross over here and we'll pray for you to make your life right with God. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here to pray with you. Prayer team, make your way up here and uh, we'll sing this song and go. I love you. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you next week.